Have you ever been asked to do something, and as soon as you heard it, you're thinking, it's impossible. I don't have the time. I don't have the abilities. I don't have the connections. I don't have the resources. And then that person comes along and adds to that request, and it needs to be done by tomorrow. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar asks his advisors, his, his psychics, his astrologers, to help him to know, ask them to give him his dream and his interpretation of it. And this is what they said in Daniel 2, 10 and 11. Nobody can do what you ask. What you're asking is impossible. And so I ask you again, what do you do when you are asked to do the impossible? In the last few weeks, as we have been in the book of Daniel... I've been saying this, that God always tests us before he blesses us. That he always gives us stress before he gives us success. Before God gives you success and blessing and influence and more power, he first tests you to see if you can handle it. In this story of Daniel, we're, we're looking at eight major tests of his life. And we've taken a look at three of those. I would encourage you to get on the web and review those. This week, we're going to take a look at this test of when you're asked to do the impossible. The three previous tests that we've looked at, Daniel has passed. And with them, he has been given a promotion. And remember, he starts out as a 15-year-old prisoner of war. Parents, take good notes. In fact, there's application on this at the bottom of the outline. Daniel starts off as a 15-year-old POW. And he's never going to see his, uh, his land, Israel, again. He's never going to see his parents again. He's never going to see his friends again. And yet, he is placed in a position where he is tested. And through those tests, he gets promoted. And this test is about when you're asked to do the impossible. Let's, let me read out of Daniel chapter two, part of this story. In the second year of his reign, King Nebuchadnezzar started having dreams that disturbed him deeply. I wouldn't say they're dreams, they were nightmares. He couldn't sleep. He called in all the Babylonian magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and fortune tellers to interpret his dreams for him. When they came and lined up before the king, he said to them, I had a dream that I can't get out of my mind. I can't sleep until I know what it means. The fortune teller, speaking in the Aramaic language, said, Long live the king. Tell us the dream, and we will interpret it. The king answered the fortune tellers, This is my decree. If you can't tell me both the dream itself and its interpretation, I'll have you ripped to pieces limb from limb, and your home's torn down. But if you tell me both the dream and its interpretation, I'll lavish you with gifts and honors, so go to it. Tell me the dream and its interpretation. And they answered, if it please your majesty, tell us the dream. Uh, we'll give you the interpretation. But the king said, I know what you're up to. You're just playing for time. You know that you're up a tree. You know that if you can't tell me my dream, you're doomed. I see right through the issue until I, 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 I see right through you. You're going to cook up some fancy stories and confuse the issue until I change my mind. Nothing doing. First tell me the dream and then I'll know that you're on the up and up with the interpretation and not just blowing smoke in my eyes. The fortune teller said, nobody anywhere can do what you ask, and no king, great or small, has ever demanded anything like this from any magician, enchanter, or fortune teller. What you're asking is impossible unless some god or goddess should reveal it, and they don't hang around with people like us. That set the king off. He lost his temper and ordered the whole company of Babylonian wise men killed. When the death warrant was issued, Daniel and his companions were included. They also were marked for execution. Folks, this is a crisis. 
Now, you may be asking, why in the world is Nebuchadnezzar so ticked? I mean, what got a bee under his bonnet? Well, one of the things, one of the traits of human beings is that we all want to know the future. It is one of the traits that we like, that we want. We want to know the future. You want to know the future, don't you? And I want to know the future. We all want to know what's going to happen next week, next month, next year. And the reason why is so that we can control it. Or at least be prepared for it. But God doesn't want you to have control over your future. He wants you to trust him. And that's why he doesn't tell you. Now the reality though is this. As you look at human beings... The more insecure that human being or that person is, the more controlling they are. The more insecure that person is, the more they're going to try to control everything and everybody. Would anybody like to share a story about someone they know like this, okay? Folks, anytime you see anybody trying to control anything, you can know that they are very insecure, Today, 2,500 years after this event in Daniel 2, people are still trying to figure out the future. Why? Because they are desperate for hope. And they will do almost anything to figure out what it is so that they can have hope, so they can control it, so they can be prepared for it. That people will read tea leaves horoscopes, they will go to seances, they will do palm reading, they will go to psychics. Do you realize that in America, that is a $2.1 billion business? You and I may discount that. Oh no, people don't do that, really? Oh yeah, they do. So let's take a look before we talk about how God or how Daniel handled this test, when you're tested with something impossible, let's take a look at what God says about astrologers and psychics and, and, and palm readers and things like that. Let me give you three things. First, God says this no one knows the future except God. Anybody who tells you, hey, I know the future, is lying. Notre Dame did not know the future. Take a look at Ecclesiastes 8.7. No one can tell the future. Look at Ecclesiastes uh, 10, verse 14. No one really knows what's going to happen. No one can predict the future. God wants to reveal to you the future one day at a time. He isn't going to give you tomorrow or the next day or the next day after that. Why? Because he wants you to trust him. The second thing is this. All psychics and mediums are frauds and fakes. 100% of them. And I didn't say that. God did. Take a look at Isaiah 44 verse 25. God said, I make fools of psychics and fortune tellers. And I frustrate the predictions of astrologers. Their wisdom is foolish. God says, I don't want you to be looking to other people. For your future, I want you to trust me. And if you choose not to and to look to someone else, you're going to defile yourself. You're going to corrupt yourself. Take a look at um, Leviticus 20, verse, verse 6. God says, I am against anyone who goes to mediums or fortune tellers for advice because that person is being unfaithful to me. So I will cut him off. And so I say this to any person who's involved with the occult, okay, with mediums, with psychics, drop it. Drop it. They're fakes and they're phonies. The third thing that God says about the future is that the test of a true prophet of God is 100% accuracy. That's how you and I know if they're from God. The Bible gives us two criteria. One is that they must be 100% accurate. Not 90%, not 95, not 99.9. They must be 100% accurate. And secondly, what they say must agree with the Bible. Take a look at a couple of these verses in Deuteronomy 18. 
If you want to know if a prophet's message is really from God, here's how to test him. If any part doesn't come true, that prophecy is false and not from God. He was presumptuously speaking his own ideas, and you should pay no attention nor fear him. The moment they mess up one time, folks, they're a fake. Then the Bible test in Isaiah 8.20. Check their predictions against my word, says the Lord. If their predictions are different from my word, it is because there is no light or truth in them. 100% correct, 100% of the time, and it agrees with the Bible. You need to do what Nebuchadnezzar did with these psychics, okay? Don't give them any information. If someone asks you, <laughs> some psychic, hey, what's your name? Look at them. You should know. <laughs> well, give me your credit card number. You tell me what it is. Folks, they're fakes and they're liars. In this chapter, King Nebuchadnezzar has this reoccurring nightmare. He, and he calls in his advisors, his, his psychics, his mediums, okay? And he says to them, here's, I want you to interpret my dream. Or I want you to tell me what my dream was, and I want you to be able to interpret it. And guess what? They failed. And he says, the whole lot of you are a bunch of fakes. I'm going to kill every one of you. But Daniel jumps in. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 14, in essence, he comes and he says, let me give it a shot. I mean, what can I lose, right? Let me give it a shot. And he goes off and he prays. And God reveals to him the dream and the interpretation. It is supernatural. And Daniel and his friends are promoted. Today, we're going to take a look at eight things that Daniel did, that you need to do when you are facing an impossible situation. And remember, Daniel, at this point in time in the story, is about 17 or 18 years old. Parents, grandparents, write these things down. Pass them to the next generation. These are eight things that I have sought to do in the 30-year history of LifePoint Church. The first thing is this. Don't panic or be afraid. That's number one. Don't panic or be afraid. Take a look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 14. When Ariach, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. Folks, his faith at that point in time is being tested by the most powerful man in the world. And he doesn't lose his cool. He doesn't panic. He's not afraid. So let me ask you this morning in the 21st century, what are you panicked about this morning? What are you afraid of? Daniel didn't panic, and his life was in the balance. The second thing that you and I need to do when we face an impossible situation is that we must ask why, and we must seek to learn all the facts and all the motivations behind the request. If there is emotion like Nebuchadnezzar had, folks, we've got to understand what is fueling that request. Now, in this case, King Nebuchadnezzar was afraid. And he was afraid not because it was a nice, pleasant dream with rainbows and roses. No, it was a nightmare. And he was scared to death. And so as a result, he was going to take it out on everybody around him. You see, when people are in a crisis, they become emotional, don't they? Your boss jumps all over your blessed assurance. This needs to get done right now. Why? Because his boss just jumped on his blessed assurance. 
And as I like to say, he's kicking the dog now, right? All because of an emotional state. Take a look at Daniel 2, verse 15. Daniel asked the king's captain, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Ariach told him all that had happened. You've got to get the facts. Before you make any major decision, you must get the facts at any price. Solomon said in Proverbs 23, 23, get the facts at any price. Whatever you do, don't just operate off of emotions or how you feel. Feelings can lie. What you need to do is you need to ask why and what. The third thing you need to do when you're facing an impossible situation is that you ask for time to create a solution. If your boss comes to you and says, I need this, and I need this by tomorrow, and in your mind you're thinking, you know what, I, I just don't have the time. This is impossible. You need to ask time to create a solution. And the reason why is because oftentimes in a crisis, the greatest temptation is to be impulsive. It's to be irrational. Will you write this down? It is more important to make the right decision than it is to make a decision fast. A wrong decision is a wrong decision no matter whether you make it fast or you make it slow. It's always more important to make the right decision than to make a quick decision. So what you do is that you just step back. You take a breath and you talk to God about it because he knows the answer. Daniel asked for time so that he could so that he could allow God to speak into that situation if God chose to. Take a look at Daniel chapter 2 in verse 16. Daniel went all Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time so he could interpret the meaning of the dreams for the king. Daniel isn't going to give up like the other advisors or mediums or psychics, okay? He says, no, I'm going to give it my best shot. I'm going to believe God for the impossible. Now, I want you to circle this phrase because this is really important. He went at once. While it's important to take time to create a solution, it is also important to make contact with the person who's making the request. And do, it, and do it ASAP, especially if your life's in the balance, right? Don't procrastinate. And Daniel didn't. He went there immediately. And, and think about this. This is a 17 or 18-year-old. I just heard of a story this morning of a 17, 18-year-old who's procrastinating on something. No, he doesn't do that. He goes directly to the source of pain, to the source of pressure. He doesn't postpone it. He doesn't procrastinate. Here's my question for us in the 21st century. What are you procrastinating that you know that you ought to do right after this service? Let me put it a different way. What are you pretending that isn't a problem in your marriage? In the church, in your family, in your relationships. Folks, procrastination never makes it better. Procrastination is my sin. It only brings me sorrow. I know I ought to change. In fact, I will tomorrow, okay? Procrastination is never solve a problem. So don't procrastinate. Don't panic Ask why, ask time, and go to the source. Don't procrastinate. The fourth thing that we see in this story of Daniel 
when you are faced with an impossible situation is this, enlist prayer support from friends. Daniel knows that this thing is bigger than himself. He knows that the kingdom of God is in balance. He knows that the king is off his rocker. And he thinks, I need prayer support. I need to get my prayer team together. So here is what he does. Take a look at Daniel 2, 17 and 18. Then Daniel went home and told his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened. These three guys with Daniel were roomies, okay? They all lived in the same house, okay? Great, great bunch of roomies. Then he said, pray that the God who rules from heaven will be merciful and explain this mystery so that we and the other advisors won't be put to death. Let me ask you this. Do you have a prayer team? If you got in a crisis, and there's a person that comes to my mind who has had heart surgery this past week. Been on the phone with me, or texting, I should say, all week to my wife and I. If you were in a crisis, a health crisis, a financial crisis, a job crisis, would you have five people that you could call immediately because you knew that they were prayer warriors? That they would go into their prayer closets, they would get on their knees, and they would start interceding on your behalf. If you don't have those kind of people in your life, I would highly recommend that you do that quickly because it is not a matter of when you will have a crisis. You are going to have a crisis. It will happen. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. And Daniel knew immediately who he could turn to to start praying. But let me flip that. Let me ask you this, who could call you because they know that you are a prayer warrior for them? It's easy, isn't it? Just to walk down the hallways of the church, someone share a request, oh yeah, I'll pray for you, and you've totally forgotten about it. Could someone call you and say, will you pray for me? Are you close enough to a few, in it, you don't need 25. Maybe you just need five or 10. This is the reason for small groups. One of the highlights of the small groups that I'm in, every one of them, and I'm involved in three, so don't give me an excuse that you can't be involved in community somehow. No one's any busier than I am. I guarantee that. We pray, and we pray for one another. And when things happen, we are on the phone or texting. Now notice in Daniel's prayer that they weren't just for him and his buds. They were for everybody. Will you circle the other advisors? Daniel isn't just concerned for his own skin. He is concerned for his coworkers. He isn't just concerned about him being laid off from work. He's concerned that his coworkers may be laid off from work. And what are they going to do? These others, folks, they're pagans. They're not his friends. They're not Jewish. They're not believers. This is a mark of a godly person. They're not only concerned for them, but they are concerned for the destiny of those who may not know God, who have a different lifestyle, who have a different religion from them. And Daniel demonstrates godliness for everybody. So don't panic. Ask why. Ask for more time to create a solution. Enlist people for prayer. The fifth thing that we see in this story about how to handle a, a, an impossible situation is pray and expect God to give a supernatural answer. Pray and expect God to give supernatural help. And what I mean by supernatural help 
is I'm talking about the kind of help that you know that you can't muster up within you. Something that you know I need God's help because this is beyond me. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the connections. I don't have the resources. I don't have the people. And so you pray, and you pray expectantly that God will give supernatural health. God, in his word, over and over and over again, tells us to ask. Why? Because he wants the world to see how much you depend on him. And how much you love him. And how much he loves you. Regardless if it gets answered the way you want or not. Now here's what's interesting. While Daniel is in Babylon, there is another guy in Israel at the same time. A guy named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah here is not a bullfrog, okay? He is a prophet of God. And he knew what was going to be happening in Babylon. And so he gives God's telephone number. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you. And I will show you marvelous and wonderful things that you could never figure out on your own. And this is exactly what Daniel did. He needs God's help. He can't figure this one out on his own. I mean, he's in, so to speak, the same situation as these other mediums and uh, psychics are. He, he can't figure this out. It's beyond him. And so he needs something bigger than himself. Sometimes there are things that you and I can't figure out. Isn't that true? As we pray for people back there, George, the doctors don't know what's going on. And one of my prayers all the time is, God, you can see in the dark. Nothing is hidden to you. Bring it to light, God. You see, what do you need to call God on for? Because you can't figure it out. God never shuts the storehouse until you and I shut our mouths. There are things that God wants to give to you, but you have never asked him for it. And yet Jesus in his ministry said, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door, it'll be open to you. Could it be that that thing that you are thinking that can never be solved, it's just impossible could be solved like that if you would just talk to God about it. This is what Daniel did. He asked God and God revealed it. But there must always, there, there is always one condition. And that is that you expect an answer. That's called faith. And we are in the year of faith. If you pray and you're not expecting an answer, don't waste your breath. If you pray and you're, you, 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 you don't think God heard you, then, then, then don't waste your breath. God responds to people who expect an answer. He doesn't respond to whining or griping, or moaning, and groaning. He responds to faith. He responds when you and I are expecting an answer. The Bible says, if we as imperfect parents know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more will our perfect Father in heaven give good gifts to us? One of the things I love about Christmas isn't the gifts that I get, but rather the gifts that I give to see the, their faces. In the same way, God gets a rush when you and I trust him to do the impossible. And why does it give him a rush? 
Because in that prayer, or in those prayers, we're looking to God. We're depending on him. And he gets honor. As people see that, he gets honor. But you and I have to expect God to answer like Daniel. Take a look at James chapter 1 and verse 5. If you need wisdom, ask God, and he will gladly give it to you. He won't resent you asking, but when you ask him to be sure, and when you ask him, be sure that you expect him to answer. For a doubtful mind is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is tossed by the wind. People like that should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So if you're not believing God for an answer, don't waste your breath. If you're not believing God and expecting God for an answer, don't waste your time. Now how do you know that you've done that? Well, really, it's pretty simple. Through thanking him in advance. Faith and gratitude go together, which leads to the sixth thing that you and I need to do when we are faced with an impossible situation, and that is worship God. Worship and not worry. Let me explain what I mean. Worship is far more than just singing songs on Sunday morning or singing songs to God, as I like to do when I'm driving with the volume up really loud because I sound better than they do when I do that, right? And Cheryl's oftentimes with me in someone's car, and I'm just rocking out and singing my song, and Cheryl's going, George, people are watching, and I sing louder, you know. (laughs) It's more than just singing songs. Worship is when you and I focus on God. It's when you and I focus our attention on God and we express our love to him. And when I turn my attention to God like that, it's called worship. And folks, you can do that anywhere. You don't have to wait for Sundays. Now, we're going to have the prayer team back there. We want to pray with you. But you can do that anywhere. When you are facing a a crisis that's impossible, at least from your perspective. you got to get your focus off yourself, and you got to get it on to God. you got to get your focus off the problem, and you got to get it on to God. you got to get your focus off of how big this situation is, and you got to get it on to how big God is. This is what Daniel did. Take a look at Daniel 2, 19. During the night, God revealed and explained the mystery of the dream to Daniel in a vision. Now stop right there. He was up all night, not worrying, but praying. I want to ask you this. With whatever you look at in your life today as impossible, when was the last time you were up all night talking to God about it? Not worrying. I've been up many a night where I've worried, and God says, George, why don't you talk to me? Oh, yeah, that's right, God. When was the last time that you really exerted some energy and effort? When was the last time? Let's just not even say all night. Let's just say for one hour. Jesus said, hey, can you guys just pray with me one hour? When was the last time you devoted one hour to pray about what you're worried about? Daniel did this, and God revealed the answer. God revealed the answer to his prayers. And it says, then Daniel praised the God of heaven. God answered Daniel's prayer by putting a vision in his mind of what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was. And he gave him the interpretation as well. And after God did that, or after God did that for Daniel, he worshiped him. Circle the word praised. Now this passage right here shows how you and I should pray when we are in a crisis. And I want you to write these down. Daniel prayed three things. Daniel shows his worship of God 
by praying these three things. And these are three things that you and I can pray about. The first one is this. When you are facing an impossible situation, number one, praise God for who he is. You focus on who he is. You say, God, you're a loving God. You're a faithful God. You, you, you are an all-powerful God. You're a God who knows everything about everything. You praise God for who he is. Take a look at Daniel 2, verse 19 and 20. Then Daniel praised God, saying, Our God, your name will be praised forever and ever. You are all-powerful, and you know everything. Will you circle the word praise there and draw a line and circle the phrase, your name. Your name is reference to God's character. And so you focus in on who God is. Secondly, you honor God for what he does or what he's done. You honor him for who he is, and you honor him for what he does. Take a look at Daniel chapter 2, 21 through 23. You control human events. You give rulers their power, and you take it away. You are the source of wisdom and knowledge. You explain deep mysteries, because even the dark is light to you. You are the God who wor you are the God worshipped by my ancestors. In other words, God, you are in charge and you know things that are hidden to man. You are the God of light and in you there is no darkness whatsoever. And so when you are in, 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 in an impossible situation, you pray and you pray and focus in on who God is and what he does or has done. And then number three, you thank God for helping you. Look at verse 23. Now I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what I asked for and revealed to me the king, what the king demanded. God, I'm grateful. I am thankful for what you have done in my past, in my present, and in my future. Now, after Daniel prays this prayer, a prayer that you and I should pray when we are facing an impossible situation, what Daniel does is he then goes back and gives them the answer. And this is extremely important. Will you write this down? Use what God has shown you to save others. Use what God has shown you to save others. God wants to save you from your impossible situation. True, but he also wants to save other people. He wants to save your friends. He wants to save some of your kids. He wants to save your spouse, maybe. He wants to save your coworkers. God just doesn't want to save you from your situation, okay? He wants to save other people. Take a look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 24. It says this, then Daniel rushed to see Arioch, who'd been ordered to execute all the king's advisors. He said, call off the execution and take me to the king and I'll explain the meaning of his dream. I mean, can't you see this happening in a Hallmark mystery movie? I mean, Daniel rushes in at the last moment and he saves everybody. I can just see it, okay? I love Hallmark, okay? God is not just interested in saving you. God wants to save others. This is called witnessing. Folks, he wants everybody to know his purpose for their life. He doesn't just want you to know your purpose. We want you to know your, we're a purpose-driven church. You don't know your purpose? Hey, we will help you with that. We've got hall classes. You need to know your purpose, especially if you're on the shorter end of the stick, okay? As I like to say, don't retire, re-enlist. Go for it. God is interested in everybody knowing his purpose for their life. And God wants to show you stuff so that it can help other people realize why God created them. 
He wants to do it for their benefit as well. Take a look at Daniel chapter 2, 25 and 26. Then Ariach hurried Daniel into the king and said, I've found one of the Jewish captives who will tell you what your dream is. He's kind of taking a little credit for himself, right? The king said to Daniel, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? This question from Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel's response brings us to point number eight. And it is this. This is what you and I need to do when we face an impossible situation. And that is point people to God. Will you write that down? When you are in crisis and you're praying and you're asking for wisdom that God might give you supernatural help and when you get the answer to it, you point people to God and don't take the credit because you're not the one that came up with the solution. Here's what Daniel says to the most powerful man in the empire, King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel replied, no wise man or psychic or fortune teller or astrologer can explain the mystery of your dream. But there is a God in heaven who reveals, will you circle that? Who reveals mysteries and he has chosen to show you what will happen in the future. And now God has revealed this mystery to me, not because I am smarter than anyone else, but for your benefit so that you, O king, may understand it. King, you may be scared to death of the nightmare that you had that was reoccurring over and over and again, but there is a God in heaven. This world may be falling apart according to you, but there is a God in heaven. God has given me the answer to your nightmare, God, but I'm nothing. I am only the deliverer because there is a God in heaven. Nebuchadnezzar, what will give you hope for what you are going through right now is because there is a God in heaven. What is Daniel doing here? He is pointing to God. And if you and I will do the same thing, when other people are going in a crisis or when we're going through a crisis and God resolves that, I guarantee you this, God will bless your socks off of you. But if you take it to yourself and you think that you figured this thing out on your own, you will not prosper. And sure, if someone comes to you and says, you know what, that's a great message, Pastor George. I mean, you really knocked it out of the park today. You can be gracious and say, yes, God used me today. But it's all about God. We have a God in heaven. And when you and I point people to God, to Jesus Christ, he will draw men to himself. And he will work in their lives and they will discover their purpose for their life and they will be used of him to make this world a whole lot better place. And if you think about it, that's why God created us, isn't it? He created us to be like John the Baptist and just pointing towards the Savior. That is our purpose in life. We are to point people to God. And the more you and I point people to God, the more God will promote us. And so Daniel gets in the presence of Nebuchadnezzar and he says to him, I am going to tell you what your dream was and I'm going to give you the interpretation. And so Daniel gives him his dream. He says, you saw a statue of a man the head was made out of gold. The upper body was made out of silver. The belly and thighs were made out of bronze. The legs were made out of iron. And the feet were made out of clay and iron. 
And the king says, you're right. But, but Daniel says, but there's more. In your dream, there was this supernatural rock that was cut out of a mountain. And it hit the, the, the feet of that statue. And that statue crumbled. And Daniel's, and, and Nebuchadnezzar says, you're right again. But he says, that's not, enough, that's not all. The meaning of this rock that was cut out of this mountain, it grew and it covered the whole earth. And Nebuchadnezzar says, you nailed it, man. You nailed it. And Daniel responds, he says, God has shown you the future of this world. And then he gives him the interpretation. The gold head is for the Babylonian Empire. That's for you, Nebuchadnezzar. And then the upper part of the body and the arms, the silver part, that is for the Persian Empire, the Mede and Persian Empire. And it's not going to be as good as your empire, uh, of, of, of the Babylonian Empire, your empire, Nebuchadnezzar. It's going to be less. And the bronze part of the belly and the thighs, it's going to be the next empire. It's going to be the Greek Empire, led by Alexander the Great. And it's not going to be as great as the previous empire. And then the iron, the next empire, it's going to be bigger than anything, even bigger than your empire. And it's going to be the Roman Empire. And then the feet made of iron mixed with clay is going to be the remnants of the Roman Empire. And it represents a divided world. And it's very fragile. But he says the big key to all of this is that rock that was cut from a mountain that grew and overtook the whole earth. That is the kingdom of God. That is God's empire. And it is going to last forever. And even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Nebuchadnezzar, God has shown you what is to come. And we will get into this, but God through Daniel is moving Nebuchadnezzar to faith in Yahweh. What a witness. What a witness. God has appointed us for this. So what is Nebuchadnezzar's response? In Daniel 2, 46 and 47. Then Nebuchadnezzar fell to the ground before Daniel and worshipped him and commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burnt sweet incense before him. Nebuchadnezzar's a little off here, okay? But he's, 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 he's going in the right direction, okay? Truly, O Daniel, the king said, your God, the one that Daniel's been pointing to, your God is the God of gods, ruler of kings, the revealer of mysteries, because he has told you this secret. That was Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. What a testimony, folks. And it's coming from a pagan king. I mean, who's getting honored here? God is, isn't he? Dan Nebuchadnezzar's saying, your God is the real God. Your God is the true God. And after Nebuchadnezzar honors God, he then promotes Daniel. Take a look. Daniel 2, 48. Then the king made Daniel very great. He gave him many valuable gifts and appointed him to be ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all his wise men. Then at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as Daniel's assistants. He was always thinking of others. To be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon, Daniel served as chief magistrate in the king's court. Are you kidding me? 
This is a 17 to 18-year-old, and he has become the mayor of Babylon. Every time you pass a test, you get blessed. And there's always stress before the test. And to bring this into the 21st century, I ask this question again. What seems impossible to you that you are panicked about this morning? That you are afraid of? Have you prayed about it? We have a God in heaven. And he is a good God. And he wants to bless his people. Let's pray. Lord, I just really thank you this morning that you are a good God. That you are a loving God. That you are a gracious God. That you are a God of all knowledge. That you are a God of all wisdom. That you are a God of all power. That nothing is impossible, God, to you. And what may be impossible for us is possible for you as we know and come to know who you are. This morning, do you know God as the God of the impossible? Maybe you've never dropped your, uh, your thought of God from your head to your heart because it's just been kind of some theological thought. But today, because of the circumstances you're in, you need a real God. You need the true God, not some figment of your imagination. Today, will you honor God? Will you, will you drop him from your head to your heart? Just say, God, right now, I admit, I don't have what it takes. This situation is impossible. I don't have the time. I don't have the resources. I don't have the connections. God, I need you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be my answer. And right now, I want to drop him from my head into my heart. Thank you for your patience in working with me, moving me to you. Today, God, I confess with my mouth that you're my Lord, and I'm asking you to work in me and to work through me for your glory, your honor, and for my good and for other people's good. If you prayed that prayer, I believe God heard you. Would you just let me know? Take that communication card that's in front of you and just write maybe your email address, your, your name, and put it in the offering basket with, with the appropriate box checked on the back. And I'll mail you some literature that'll help you understand what you just did. God, I thank you that you are one that we can point to. And may we be faithful this weekend, as we think of others who have gone before us, God, who have paid the ultimate price for our freedom, may we include you in on that, God. Point to you, because truly you are our Savior. And so, God, we give you this. In your Son's precious name we pray. Amen.